0: Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham.
1: Libyan visa, official. Pull over for inspection. Sorry, sir, I can't do that. Pull over for inspection. How willing are you to die for your country? I'm going to go right here, right now.
0: That audio is from the new movie about the Benghazi attack, 13 hours. Here with his review of that and Hillary Clinton's emails and who knows what else, our good friend, Steve Hayes. Steve, welcome back to the Weekly Standard Podcast.
1: Hey, Michael, how are you?
0: I'm great. So how was this? The movie is based on this book that a journalism school, an actual journalist wrote with like five of the contractors who were there, right?
1: That's exactly right. Yeah, I was a journalism professor from Boston University, and, and they, they wanted to just tell the story, sort of adjust the facts, ma'am, here's what happened in the 13 hours uh, on the ground, and the book was very straightforward, not terribly political, and the movie tracks pretty closely with the book.
0: And what uh, what did you think of the movie? Uh, will people who've been following Benghazi's story as closely as you have been, were you, were you throwing your popcorn at the screen, or were you going, "Wow, I, I can't believe that they got part of this right"?
1: Yeah, so I, I, it was definitely the latter. I mean, the, the story, the movie tells the story the way that that frankly, you know, people at the Weekly Standard and elsewhere have have told the story. I mean, it makes very clear. Um, sometimes subtly, sometimes pretty directly, um, that Michael Bay, the director, believes that that the U.S. government left these guys uh, abandoned, uh, left them stranded to fight on their own, and holds responsible the people in Washington, some nameless, um, the people on the ground in Benghazi, uh, namely this CIA station chief who repeatedly told uh, the CIA contractors that they couldn't go try and rescue Ambassador Chris Stevens and Sean Smith in the early stages of the fighting. Um, it's, it's, it is a pretty strong political movie, even though there is literally no mention of Hillary Clinton in the movie and no mention of Barack Obama in the movie.
0: So when you say it's political, we're talking to Steve Hayes with The Weekly Standard and Fox News. What do you mean? You mean the like kind of the interior politics of uh, government bureaucracy, that kind of politics?
1: Uh, Yeah, to a certain extent. But but it's also, I think, political in the sense that that it casts judgment on the way that the administration handled itself with respect to, to Benghazi and also Libya policy more broadly. It doesn't come out and criticize Hillary Clinton by name or say that, you know, she was negligent. But it's clear when you watch what transpires on the ground that. The U.S. government was negligent, that the State Department was negligent, that the Obama administration was negligent. And it also uh, directly challenges many of the administration's favored talking points and and the most important parts of the administration's preferred narrative. So there's a scene where you have uh, playing in the background a news report um, on uh, while the in the middle of the fighting, the, the CIA goes, guys go back to their annex, and they look up, and there's a screen playing. Right. And it's a news report, and it mentions in passing some a video that. Uh, Describe the protests in Cairo, or that supposedly caused the protests in Cairo, was on this news report, and, and they show that they have no understanding of any video that that wasn't part of it. It makes clear that there was no demonstration uh, before the uh, before the attacks took place. It also makes clear that the attacks were well planned in advance. It makes clear that the U.S. had trouble distinguishing friend from foe from the right. beginning. In Libya, and in particular during the fighting, so it, it's it's very uh, it's very direct about its judgments. I think.
0: Okay, here's one of the things I like about the movie. Uh, it's got John Krasinski in it, who's great in The Office. He plays kind of the you know <laughs> you know these arched eyebrow guy of he knows what's really going on and stuff. How is he, and how is how is the movie as a movie, Steve?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't pretend to be some sophisticated film critic, uh, but. I thought it was a very powerful movie. Um, you know, it, it, it uses the images, uses what's happening on the ground. And it, it it sort of has an understanding that people who are coming to the movie ha- have a sense of what happened. So we all know how the story ends. We know the two competing um, narratives. And this clearly embraces one and rejects another. And it does so sort of in in a knowing fashion. In terms of the actual acting, I thought John Krasinski was fantastic. In many ways, the character he plays, uh, who's a... Who's, who's named Jack Silva, a CIA contractor, a pseudonym for a CIA contractor right. uh, who fought on the ground there, uh, is the opposite of Jim Halpert, who he played on the office. I mean, Jack Silva is sort of a um, – I wouldn't want to call him naive, but he's mm. he, hes a, uh, a wide-eyed contractor who comes into country. He sort of has a sense that things aren't going to be uh, easy, but is repeatedly surprised by these turns of events and turns to the other contractors who've been in country uh, for longer to get a sense of what's going on. And it constantly makes reference back to his family and all that he's doing to sacrifice or potentially sacrifice for his family and for his kids okay, I mean, Steve, in a quite I, if, affecting way.
0: If I have you on the show, I have to ask you about you know politics, particularly the presidential race. And to me, the headline is less than a month out, Hillary is tied with a geezer, cranky, old Larry David lookalike in both Iowa and New Hampshire. Is that the biggest headline or is there a bigger one?
1: Well, on the Democratic side, I mean, I would still say the biggest headline is that Donald Trump is, is leading the Republican field, even if he's not okay. leading in Iowa. Uh, but, yeah, on the Democratic side, I think it's, it's notable that, you know, people had, come, people had become comfortable with the idea that Hillary Clinton was a shoe in right. that she would have no real challenge, that after this early scare that she had from Bernie Sanders, it had sort of dissipated and that she was going to be fine. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily the case. Uh, we shouldn't overread these polls. There's a ton of volatility in these polls. I mean, uh, the Des Moines Register poll three weeks ago had her up 18, or had her up nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, CBS YouGov poll had her up 18. Um, and now this NBC Marist poll has her up three. Okay, but, but um, so Steve, this, a is lot why, of this is
0: why I disagree with you about the Hillary, Because Hillary is a known factor. There should be no movement in the polls. It's not like there's, someone's going to surprise you about her. And. Uh, my, uh, I'm going to give you some political wisdom from the great sages of the 21st century. If I may, Steve, it's my, it's my uncle Bobby, who's a tobacco farmer in North Carolina. Who's, uh, kind of, uh, you know, grew up as a Democrat in the South, but you know, he's, you think of him as a classic Trump supporter. And he said, no, I'm not for And he looked at me like I was crazy. I'm not for Trump. Trump's just like Clinton. They're both in it for what they can get. And isn't that what everybody knows about Hillary, that she's just in this for what she can get, and that story is told, it is baked, it is unfixable, and people just don't like it, particularly in 2016?
1: I I think that is true, um, particularly in this political environment. On the other hand, if you look at national polling, Mm -hmm. she's got a commanding lead in the national poll. And you can say, well, the national poll doesn't tell us anything. Well, it does tell us something. It doesn't tell us how the race will necessarily unfold, but it tells us how her message and what general perceptions are of Hillary Clinton. And I do think it's baked in. So her numbers on honest and trustworthy, you and I have talked about that before. Uh, You know, she's at 35, 40% percent of people who think that that she's honest and trustworthy and yet she's leading bernie sanders in national Mm -hmm. polls by double digits virtually every time and in some cases by but he's bernie sanders this should
0: be 80 20 there should be no race the fact that there's a race says everything about Hillary. And I, I, I don't know if you've seen the new Wall Street Journal poll, but it shows that Bernie does better against all of the leading Republicans in a national head-to-head than Hillary does. All of them. It's not about Bernie. It's about Hillary. Nobody wants to vote for her, Steve. If the Republicans nominate anyone who's not unelectable, this race is theirs.
1: Well, I agree with that last statement. Absolutely. I mean, this is. I think this is one of the many things that Republicans have to deal with as they... Sort of grapple with the idea of Donald Trump being the nominee, but i don 't necessarily that it has nothing agree with you that it has nothing to do with Bernie Sanders I mean Bernie Sanders, in a polarized time when the left is becoming more left, when you have oh, critics of Barack Obama, the most liberal president, in at least the last century. You have critics of him from the left saying he hasn't done enough from the left. Mm -hmm. You have a Democratic base that finds somebody like Bernie Sanders and his socialist ideas appealing. They like the purity of Bernie Sanders. I think if if it were just Hillary Clinton and Martin O'Malley, Hillary Clinton would be running away with this in a way that she's not with Bernie Sanders. So I do think it has something to do with Bernie Sanders, in addition to all of the things that you said about Hillary Clinton. And just people, people are basically tired of Hillary Clinton. She's a crummy candidate. She was a crummy candidate in 2007, 2008. We knew that she was a crummy candidate coming into this race. Look at how she performed when she did her book rollout. Anytime she's actually subjected to real scrutiny and tough questions, she she melts. She's not good in those situations. She doesn't do well.
0: One last uh, thing for you, a a little note to take back to D.C. with you, since you're one of those establishment EC inside D.C. Insider types. State, I'm headed to know. a
1: morning cocktail party right now. I knew right? I knew you were glad you said that.
0: Ted Cruz's favorable and unfavorable in Georgia: sixty-two to twenty-six, which is great. Jeb's twenty-seven favorable, sixty-eight unfavorable in Georgia.
1: So be sure to hey, spread look. that around. Look, some pe- that might surprise some people. It does not surprise me. I-, I said from the very beginning, I thought Ted Cruz was likely to be uh, strong, uh, have a strong presence in the race, and that Jeb Bush wouldn't be the Republican nominee.
0: On target as always, Steve, you've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check WeeklyStandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.